there's three kinds of players. Those that know, those that don't know, and those that don't know, they don't know. (laughs) And, and very rarely do you find that you coach a player who knows more often than not, you coach a player who doesn't know. And that's the essence of coaching. That's Fran Fischilla, our guest lecturer today. The worst kind is the guy is the guy that doesn't know he doesn't know because he thinks he knows and you can't coach that guy. Oh, Lord. Think yep. that they think that they think they know. But uh, a, a lot of times in evaluating players, and it's hard to do this without really getting to know them, is can this player learn how to be a better player than he already is? Can we can can an NBA team coach this guy? to improve on some of the skills that are going to make him a viable NBA player. And the, the way I try to find that out is as I get to know them in high school and at the college level. So I have that advantage of trying to figure out whether this guy is going to improve at the NBA level because of the knowledge I have maybe behind the scenes, but I don't have all the answers either. I'm not at the interviews in Chicago. I don't get a chance to, talk to these guys in depth on a long-term basis, but I try to use my relationship with these kids to try to figure out what makes them tick. Hearing Fran say this reminds me of the scene in Fast Time at Ridgemont High where Mr. Hand writes on the board, I don't know. I like that. I don't know. That's the essence of today's episode, is that we don't know. But we got a great teacher today. So let's go back to class and hear what Fran has to say. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. And welcome to the Basketball Intelligence Podcast. Bro, what are you talking about, man? They made up a term called analytics. Take that for data. All right, all right, all right. Listen up now, class. Today we have a special guest lecturer, Fran Fischilla. This man has personally changed the way I looked at scouting, provided me more insight than most analysts, and has also helped me make money on my fantasy games. But you know what, though? I don't think I'm doing enough justice by introducing Fran this way. Ray, can you do the honors? So let me tell our audience a little bit about Fran as if they didn't already know. Uh, was assistant coach at Providence and then head coach at Manhattan, St. John's, and University of New Mexico. Uh, most recently known for all his great work at ESPN as a broadcast analyst, currently has been doing uh, mostly Big 12 games and as an analyst for college basketball programming, also most notably probably covering the NBA draft with a significant focus on international players and also ESPN analyst for its FIBA broadcasts. So we can maybe start with that background and just ask you a quick question about how did the draft and especially international players become two of your specialties? Well, it's a great question, Ray. I think, first of all, you have to understand I'm a lifelong basketball junkie having grown up in New York and uh, it didn't matter whether it was high school, college, NBA, and then certainly later on uh, international basketball. I just always have had a love of the game that goes back to my days following the New York Knicks and, you know, college basketball in the seventies as it was about to explode. And when I got to ESPN and by, and by the way, when I was a college coach, I did a number of uh, coaching clinics was asked to invited to do a number of coaching clinics around the world. 
and always loved the interaction with international coaches and players. Um, so that was really fun. And when I got to ESPN, the coincidence, it was really a coincidence because at the time I got to ESPN and was asked if I wanted to be a part of the NBA draft and specifically, uh, cover the international players. Um, I had the opportunity to work at the, uh, Reebok Euro camp, a camp started by, uh, Donnie Nelson and, uh, run incredibly ably over the next decade or so by his former, uh, scouting assistant, Pete Philo, who later went on to Minnesota Timberwolves and then the Indiana Pacers. And Pete played for me at Manhattan College. So I had great access to uh, the, the uh, best players internationally in the draft. I was part of their combine, basically, for over a decade um, and still went back every year after I stopped coaching. So uh, the combination of all that confluence of my love of the game, opportunity, to get to know coaches and players around the world. And then the ESPN situation, it just all came together. It's been a fabulous ride for me. I, I love watching international basketball. And one of the things I do every summer and fall is when, when I come home with new ideas from my international coaching friends, I try to pass them on to high school and college coaches here in the States. So let's turn to this year's draft. Um, were there any players in this year's draft that went either much higher or much lower than you had expected? You know, I say this honestly, not really. Uh, and I can think of a few guys, you know, we can talk about guys, uh, uh, but I, I get a, how do I say it without being, um, I don't want to come across as taking a shot at somebody, but by the time I get to the combine, Ray, I have a good idea in my head of who I think can play based on my eye and also the fact that I, I've gotten to know the NBA game through friends uh, who scout, coach, et cetera, watch a lot of tape, watch a lot of, uh, you know, want to watch a lot of basketball. So I have to tell you, honestly, like, for example, when, Tony Bradley is not a first round pick on all the mock drafts in, in, uh, in November, you know, it's my feeling that he's going to end up, you know, when I watch him and I saw him in December play against Northern Iowa, I said, this kid's a, this kid's an NBA player. He's a first round pick. Um, you, you know, I, I have a sense in my head, I think of what it takes to be an NBA player. So there's not really much of a surprise now guys, you know, guys declare for the draft unexpectedly mm-hmm. um, international kids pop up or develop more quickly than I expect. And so I adjust my mindset in that regard. I didn't really know much about Derek white from Colorado. Um, although last season I did two Colorado games uh, early in the year and Tad Boyle said, Hey, we've got, got a kid sitting out that, you know, was an all American at division two. And so then you'd keep an eye on guys like that. But, uh, no, like when I hear Wesley Owundu is going to be a first-round pick on some mock drafts, that's fine. That's everybody's got their own opinion, but I've sure. seen him enough to say, uh, you know, I don't think so. You know, okay. I watched him for four years at Kansas State. So, right. by and large, I have a good idea in my head of who I think can play, and quite frankly, I'm usually in the ballpark in that regard. Oh yeah. So, Fran, in addition to your educated eye, how do you decipher between signal and noise when you're evaluating talent? Yeah, it's a great question. And I haven't been in a draft room, so I, you know, it's, it's not, 
I can't give you firsthand knowledge, but I do know that when you, when you study players, I had to do it when I was recruiting, uh, you know, and finding these young kids that were going to play for me in college. And now when I try to study the NBA draft, you really have to eliminate as many biases as you possibly can. And it's not easy. Like, for example, um, do you weigh more heavily a player who has like Wesley Awundu who had a terrific performance in the first four of the NCAA tournament against Wake Forest versus what you've seen over four years, you know? So there's recency bias, you know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, noise that you have to try to, you know, factor out um, as you're evaluating, but ultimately Justin, you have to fact factor in some back in some of the noise, like you have to factor in who coached this guy. You have to factor in his character and you have to factor in when you see a poor performance on tape, um, how do you kind of balance that versus, you know, what you might know about the player over the course of four years. Um, so it, it's a very, it's a very, it, this is why we say it's not just science. And it's not just an art form when you're evaluating, you know, uh, draft prospects, that it's a healthy combination of both. And, uh, you know, it's not easy because um, human nature is to factor in some things that get in the way of your thought process that shouldn't be there. For example, recency bias. How much, if any, attention do you pay to college stats? Oh, I take them in stride, really, you know, um, what do I, what, what's my line? Uh, statistics accuse analytics indict videotape convicts, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know those of us who've coached for a long time, we were, we were into analytics 25 years ago. We just didn't call it analytics. Exactly. You know, uh, I, I kept a lot of stats that today are, you know, uh, are, are, you know, kept by the, uh, you know, NBA and college teams. Ken Palm type stuff. And if you're wondering who Ken Palm is, aka Ken Pomeroy. Ken Pomeroy is the creator of a popular college basketball website and statistical archive. His website includes his college basketball ratings, tempo-free statistics for every NCAA men's Division I basketball team, with archives dating back to the 2002 season. His work on tempo-based basketball statistics is compared by many to the work of Bill James in baseball. By the way, class, he also used to be a meteorologist for the government. So I, I, I rely on that, but... Uh, is there any I, one I, well, statistic that you value over any of the others? Well, like, for example, I'll give you some that we uh, charted uh, when okay. I was coaching. Um, they're now called virtual assists. Mm -hmm. If we run a play and I throw a pass to you and you get a wide open shot or I counted a two shot foul at the rim mm -hmm. uh, off of, off of my pass, even if you didn't score, we gave you a virtual assist back when I was coaching in Manhattan, we called it a Jasper assist. So, you know, you might've on the box score had four assists, but you also had 12 Jasper assists right. because you made 12 passes that led to great shots for us. So those are the kind of things, offensive rebounds attempted. Um, mm -hmm. if, if three of my guys go heavily to the offensive glass and only one comes up with the offensive rebound, we still credited each of the three with an offensive rebound attempt. Uh, deflections is a big thing you see in college basketball. 
because it's a measure of defensive intensity and effort. Um, so things like that, you know, that I've stolen from other coaches, we've, we've been charting those through the years. But ultimately, for me, it's about, you know, what I would call my educated eye. Mm-hmm. Not that it's any more educated than anybody else, but I've been watching basketball for over 40 years. Well, Fran, I got a question. In Michael Lewis's book, The Undoing Project, Darren Morey's scouting team saw a picture of Mark Gasol and gave him a nickname. Because of that nickname, the Rockets passed on Gasol. From then on, Morey banned nicknames. Do you have your own set of rules when it comes to scouting? What I have learned, Justin, is, and I've learned this from all my good NBA friends and from watching tape as well, um, positional size matters. Um, Bill Parcells says if you make an exception for a draft pick, you're going to end up with a team of exceptions. (laughs) And then all of a sudden your team's not going to be as good. And so, yes, there are outliers. Yes, Isaiah Thomas is 5'9 on a good day. Um, but I, I've learned that a positional size matters for each spot in the league. I've learned that athleticism matters as well. I've learned that watching guys on tape as a former coach, I can see basketball IQ. You know, I, I think that's one of my strengths is I can see basketball IQ. I can see a, what a player's thinking before he gets the ball and, where he passes or or what he does with the ball after he gets it. So I'm fortunate in that regard. In fact, I would say that every NBA team should have an ex-coach as part of its scouting staff because it's not just about a player's raw talent and skills. It's how do we use this player in our coach's system? And you see that all the time where a player fits one system and not another. So there are things I look for on tape, um, again, through the years that allow me maybe more easily than some. And certainly, you know, I'm not Jerry West by any stretch, but I see things happen on tape that I see can translate to a young man playing at the NBA level. Perfect example was a kid I saw in person last year in Maui. And I actually tweeted my scouting report of him a couple weeks ago. Patrick McCaw, six foot six, positional size, knows how to play. His father was a high school coach, makes few mistakes on the court. He's a he's a willing defender. He keeps the game simple and he can make open shots. And as a young player for the Warriors this year, it's exactly how he played. So how difficult is it to judge young internationals who may have um, severely limited playing time due to team or league philosophy? Well, that's a great question. And for many years, I was able to see them up close and coach them. Uh, Guys like uh, Dragic and Batum and Ibaka and Gallinari and, uh, you know, gosh, so many guys that are now in the league. You know, it's just amazing. We had like almost 50 guys in the league that – you know, we helped coach when I was part of Pete Filo's uh, Euro camp. So uh, I got a chance to see close up the comparison. Uh, I can remember distinctly, and this is not a uh, this is not hyperbole. Um, the, uh, they brought an American team over for the first time of uh, uh, rising college freshmen for the most part. And one of the kids on the team couldn't get the ball over half court. I mean, he really struggled against the pressure of a couple of these really athletic uh, players. And uh, one of them was from Sweden. And uh, 
the young man who was on the American team, his name was Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> you know, the, the Boston Celtics, Isaiah Thomas. So I, I, and he'll tell you that story. I mean, I know he remembers distinctly. Um, yeah. So I've got a chance to, you know, measure international basketball versus college versus NBA, you know, versus the high school stars. And it's just a, it's just, I don't want to call it an encyclopedia, but you know, I have to, I have to sometimes help my American basketball friends translate what good basketball uh, looks like in Europe. Like I have to explain to them that, that Fenerbahce or, or, or a really good FC Barcelona team, which they weren't this year, or a really good Seska Moscow team would beat the, the, the NCAA champions, North Carolina by 30, 35 points. Right. Almost right. every night. Mm-hmm. And I have to explain to them that times have changed. You know, that's, that's, that's triple a baseball compared to the NBA being the major leagues. And when we watch college is double a. Right. So, you know, I have to, I've had to make the adjustment to kind of determine what actually translates when you're a young player, you know, coming out of Spain or France or maybe the mid-level like the Adriatic League, which has produced some young uh, NBA prospects in recent years. And and it's been fun. And it, again, it just gives me a chance to uh, study the game around the world and whether it's players or coaching concepts, I'm, I'm a sponge. Do you think that the um, apparent bias against drafting older players is fully justified? It's a talent league. It's about talent. And sometimes in drafting talent, you have to decide whether the talent you're taking has incredible, has a, has a high ceiling, terrific, mm-hmm. what we call upside, mm-hmm. chance to get a lot better because of age and you know lack of maturity versus you know, a guy who has worked on his craft in college or in Europe and, uh, um, you know, you're looking at him and you say, well, he can play quicker for us now. But that's as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, with all due respect to Malcolm Brogdon, yeah. uh, the NBA rookie of the year, you know, uh, who had a terrific year as a, as a guy that spent five years in college. It'll be interesting to see like how much development he has in his game, or is he just a solid eight, nine mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. pro who's, who's a fifth starter, you know, maybe a rotation guy on a playoff team. It'd be interesting, but I think it's justified in that it's a talent league and you have to take the best talent. Um, you were talking earlier a little bit about changes in the style of play in the association, et cetera. And we are all yeah. have seen some of the trends that have been happening do you see those changes in style generally as being more evolutionary or cyclical? Well, that's a great question. Uh, can I say both and explain? Sure. Of uh, course. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, this whole advent of small ball and spacing mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, undersized players, anybody who's coached college or high school basketball has been doing that for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you play your best players and, you know, I can remember at Manhattan college, my power forward was six foot for a couple of years. And it was a very good player was six foot three and 250 pounds and a dominant player at the division one level. I mean, we went to four straight postseasons, and he was part of three of them. And, uh, you know, so undersized players have been a part of uh, the game for a very long time. I think what happened, and that's that's so that in that sense it's cyclical. 
but where it's evolutionary is is the is the impact of the international game on the NBA and mm-hmm. is trickling down to, back down to college. And what I always explain to people, and I may be wrong, but it's just my my opinion is that Dr. Jack and Yubi and Chuck Daly and Bob McKillop recently. By the way, class, you got to look up these coaches. For example, Dr. Jack, other known as Dr. Jack Ramsey, this man was a legend. He helped the Blazers win their championship in 1977, but the man also had style. You got to look at the outfits he wore. But also, here's a fun fact about him. He drew an out-of-bounds play for Eric Spolster when the Heat used the play in the fourth quarter of Game 7 of the 2013 NBA Finals and ran it to perfection. In this play, Battier led Wade with a perfect bounce pass in the paint and Wade scored a layup off his curl and one, giving the Heat a lead towards the end of the fourth quarter. From there, Spoelstra added the play in the playbook calling it the Ramsey. Ray, can you add any more to Dr. Jack? Dr. Jack is special because he had great success both in college and at the professional level, but also for the way he did it. He never really had the most talented teams, and yet he had extraordinary success at the collegiate level at St. Joe's in Philadelphia, and of course in the NBA coaching uh, the Trailblazers, where um, he had a team that in some ways would viewed as the precursor of today's Warriors or Spurs teams in the sense of the way that they were able to play together. He really valued that and uh, inculcated that into his players and made sure that they got players who bought into that uh, approach to the game. Class, sorry to digress. Where were we, friend? So many other great coaches went around the world over the last 50 years to teach the game of basketball. And, and they did clinics everywhere, every corner of the world. And the way I describe the way coaching is nowadays is, you know, we go to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa and the American coaches are looking at this beautiful masterpiece from straight on. And that's what they see. They see a masterpiece. The international coaches are in, are there with us, but they're looking at the Mona Lisa from off to the side and they see the same masterpiece, but they have a different perspective. And so, uh, and that's how coaching has been. They, 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 because they develop players uh, the same way, guards, bigs, everybody handles the ball, everybody learns to shoot it. Um, they brought the athletic skilled big man back to the game and in doing so opened up the court for this great spacing we have in the NBA now where you have uh, a dynamic playmaker who, by the way, has been set free in the last 12, 13 years because of the hand-checking rules in the league. Mm-hmm. So anybody can get to the basket right. uh, because of the rules. And when you get to the basket, the defense must collapse and take away the basket. When you take away the basket, the option is now to kick it out. And if you don't have shooters out there, uh, your team's in trouble. So it's a long-winded way of saying that uh, – International coaches have had a great impact on the way the NBA game is being played right now. You know, we recently had um, did a podcast with Rick Barry, and he said yep. a couple of things about the draft that I want to run by you and get your opinions on. He One of the things he said that he felt that a big mistake that some executives make is being too group thinkish 
in the way that they take players who are slotted to a particular area, like this person is an eighth through eleventh choice, that in mm-hmm. the, that they feel that if they pick somebody that if they have the eighth through eleventh pick and they don't take somebody, they pick somebody that's down the list further, and that person flames out, they're going to get severely criticized. But if they pick a person who's generally, in everyone's view, slotted there, and they don't work out, they're not going to get criticized. What do you, what do you think of that view? Well, who's doing the slotting? The demonic draft guys? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, it, this is proprietary, proprietary, what do you call it? Proprietary information. Like, uh, every team does their own scouting, so how would I know where Indiana slots there? Well, I think he's talking days. about, you know, in the popular view that even if their own slotting oh, had you, somewhere else, that if they, if they, you know, they, they've come up with where they think that person should be taken and everybody yeah. else seems to be saying they're, they're eight through 11 and maybe, you know, and it's like, well, we better stick with that. Is well, that, think, do you think that happens I, I at think all? Gets, uh, yeah. And I think you get fired if you do that. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't mean that. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it gets back to the educated eye, you know, it's a matter of what you see in players. And, you know, I, I know how good a lot of these organizations are and how much time they put in the scouting and, you know, they, they rank guys, you know, whatever, one to 30, one to 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest, I think the biggest mistake teams make um, in, in drafts in general is not just taking the best player available as opposed to, uh, well, we need a point right. guard. Right. Um, there, there aren't. There really isn't a point guard we love, but we'll take one anyway because we need one. And to me, I think the best way to go about it is. And now, listen, when you take in the, when you pick in the top five, oftentimes you know you're going to get a, a potentially all star player, so you can you can then adjust for well we for need. But I, I honestly think Ray, once you get past five six in every draft. You are so much better off drafting the best asset, the best mm-hmm. player, regardless mm-hmm. of position, because yep. you can deal that guy. You can, or you can move somebody else to move him in. And my NBA friends tell me they slot it this way: Is the guy an all-star? And that's usually reserved for the first two or three picks. Is the guy a starter? And a lot of a lot of times that bucket might only be four, five, six, seven deep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you're into the tenth or eleventh pick, and this is where now they're calling to try to trade the pick, by the way, you know, or or move it for something right. for a young veteran. And so now after the, after the first two buckets, you're looking for a rotation guy. Right. And not not to say that Draymond Green doesn't fall because again the Warriors passed him up two different times, and right. so did That's you right. know the rest of the league. But, you know, you got to put them in, in those buckets. And uh, the worst thing you could do is listen to noise, outside well, noise. His, his other uh, criticism of the draft is that he feels that there's too much emphasis placed on hyper-athleticism as opposed to players who understand how to play. What would be your comment on that? And I think Draymond might be a really good example of that. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I think you can, I think you can look for both. And, and you may have to trade off a little bit of some for the other at times. And let's face it, it's an athletic league. And mm-hmm. to survive, you have to be at least a reasonably good NBA athlete. You know, I laugh because 
there's there are guys that are great high school athletes who are very good college athletes who are only good NBA athletes. Mm-hmm. That's just the, the 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 nature of things. And to Rick's point, I I know what he's saying. I I think you have to have a healthy combination of both, especially if you're talking about guards and perimeter players, because uh, it's rare nowadays that you'll take an athlete on the perimeter who doesn't have offensive skills and particularly shooting because you defend that team a whole lot differently than if he could shoot the ball, big guys, you can hide them. You know, they can ball screen and run to the rim Mm -hmm. or they can get to the baseline, the dunker spot. You can hide the non-athletes. That's why I call a guy an underskilled big man. There's nothing wrong with that. But to Rick's point, I think you do have to have a healthy amount of athleticism combined with, a healthy amount of skill and you have to find the right balance there. Okay. How about let's turn to next year's draft just briefly. Um, what about Luka Doncic? Yeah, Luka Doncic, uh, you know, an outstanding prospect. He really is, uh, will be the, obviously the first international player taken. Um, he's a six foot eight point forward playing at Real Madrid. Who's, Uh, I would say has the same type of hype that Ricky Rubio had. Uh, Keep in mind, Ricky Rubio turned pro in the ACB at 14, uh, played in the Olympics as a 17 year old. And so Luca has that kind of mystique, Um, not quite the playmaking. I shouldn't say playmaking because he is a great playmaker, but not quite the flair of a Ricky Rubio coming at a, you know, coming up through the ACB, but uh, very, very talented. I, you know, the one, the, the couple questions, he's, he's not a lot to be the number one pick. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the questions that ha- now that have to be answered are, you know, how will his athleticism translate to the NBA? And then he, uh, overall this year, he shot 33% when you add up the Euro league and the ACB, um, but you have to factor some of his deficiencies in with the fact that what he's doing at his age, now 18, in a, in the second best league in the world is is remarkable. So mm-hmm. uh, I, he's got flaws, but as as they all do. But uh, as an 18 year old, uh, he's got a very very bright future. And I think, you know, at worst he's going to be a very solid NBA starter. Uh, you know, high level starter, playoff team type starter, superstardom. You know, I would hold off on that for now. Regarding next year's likely one and dones, have you yep. formed any opinions that, uh, or at least the beginning of some opinions from scouting any of the likely ones and dones for next year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we've seen most of these guys come up through the high school ranks, you know, the Michael Porters, DeAndre mm-hmm. Haytons, the Mo Bombas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, again, it's early because the same way I don't necessarily think Luka Doncic will be the number one pick at the moment. Um, I'm still cautious about Michael Porter, for example, six foot ten, scores like he breathes. Going to go to Missouri this year. Uh, you know, I'd say a above average athlete, very skilled, um, but I still want to see you know improved ball handling. Uh, get him, needs to get stronger, like all these guys do. Then you got a DeAndre Ayton who's seven feet, who uh, has got a huge wingspan, great size, you know, to play inside, can can make shots. Um, you know, Wendell Carter going to Duke, six ten. So yeah, 
you know, we know this. We know the way the draft and the NBA has gone, that um, it's cyclical from year to year, but you're going to have a healthy amount of freshmen mm-hmm. coming out just simply because of the uh, the long-term potential of some of these guys. I will say in next year's draft, you've got a couple of sophomores. I almost called them upperclassmen, but they're not yet. <laughs> Miles Miles Bridges, you know, a, a yeah. terrific small forward, and, and Robert Williams, a terrific uh, power forward from Texas A&M that, uh, you know, really could have uh, could make a mark on this draft. And then, you know, Hami Diallo from, from Kentucky, who is going to be a, a, a one-and-a-half done, I guess, because mm-hmm. he redshirted the second half of the year at, at uh, Kentucky. So um, if you want a sleeper, and, and he's not a sleeper yes. to NBA team. that was but, my next question. Uh, yeah, yeah, Chimezi Metu from uh, from USC, six uh, nine forward who had a terrific freshman year. Um, you know, he he comes to mind. Uh, Tyus Battle will be a sophomore next year from Syracuse. He finished his freshman year extremely strong, averaging about seventeen a game over the last third of the year. That's another guy that I think is going to move up the uh, the charts and. Uh, you know, if you want a deep sleeper for a you know like late first type of guy, um, a guy that's been on the radar forever, Omer Yurt Seven, the seven footer from NC State, mm-hmm. who uh, did not have a good rookie year, um, caught in a guard oriented offense, uh, not a super athlete, but went to Chicago and played his tail off, uh, and I think had he stayed in, would have been uh, you know probably an early to mid second round pick. So. Um, that, that's another guy that comes to mind, p- potentially a Devonte Graham, the senior from, um, from Kansas, who I expect to have an all American type year. So it's going to be, uh, it's always interesting. And uh, each draft rate takes on its own, uh, life form, if you will. So continuing on that theme a little bit, if, if possible, what about on the one and dones? Is there anybody that is not in that sort of mega pub, um, category for the ones you mentioned sure. that we should be looking at? Sure. Um, well known to many who follow the game, but not to the average fan, would be Jaron Jackson going to Michigan State, mm-hmm. an Indianapolis kid whose father, uh, uh, Jaron Senior, played at Georgetown and was a journeyman in the NBA. Tremendous kid, six foot ten, long wingspan, awkward looking shot, but makes it uh, from the perimeter, and then uh, the length to challenge. Uh, is a shot blocker and rebounder and score inside. So, you know, that's a guy that immediately comes to mind, in my opinion. Um, trying to think of somebody else that uh, is off the radar. Um, you know, Lonnie Walker, a kid from from that's going to be a, a part of a really good backcourt at Miami next year with Bruce Brown, a sophomore who's expected to come out. Lonnie's a six foot four, two guard. Uh, they're going to have a very good team, maybe a team that can get to the Final Four. So I would keep keep an eye on him as well. Okay, so I want to ask you about some of the internationals drafts and stashes and others who are look sure. like they're coming over next year. I. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to say the names correctly, but I probably sure, won't sure. be able to. Well, fire away, fire away, okay. and just okay. throw them out about, there, and I'll give you. How my about Bogdanovich coming to the Kings? Class, don't get him confused with Bojan Bogdanovich, who played for the Nets and the Wizards. Uh, you know, going to be a solid player in my opinion. We had him when he was 18 years old at Eurocamp, and he's a big guard, 
He's played in the best, uh, you know, against the best competition of the world outside the NBA, you know, in the Euro League. He's been, uh, you know, uh, arguably uh, one of the three best players in Europe this year. Uh, he's 25 years old. And um, I think he'll be a terrific addition in Sacramento, A, because he has to play, and B, because although he's 25, he'll be a young veteran for a very young basketball team. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, he shoots it well. He's, an, he's a reasonably good athlete. Um, you know, he'll struggle at times with the elite athleticism in the NBA. He played for the Serbian Olympic team, so he played against the USA team twice last summer with middling success. Uh, had the shot to tie the game in the uh, opening in the uh, you know in the opening round against USA when Serbia played great. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like him, uh, and I like his toughness and his ability to make shots. He's a fighter, and uh, you know I don't see star. I see somewhere between good rotation player and on a a team like the Kings, uh, you know, starter. How about Zizic? Did I say that correctly? Yeah, yeah, uh, high energy young big guy. You know, he's six eleven. Uh, had a really good year this year uh, playing in Europe. He had a chance to play both in uh, Adriatic League and then in the in the uh, in Turkey, where he uh, you know he quitted himself well. He's what I call an uh, an underskilled uh, but high energy big. And by underskilled, it's not a criticism. It just means. You're not gonna you're not gonna be putting him on the floor for his jump shot or his ball handling uh, or scoring. It's gonna be the energy, the rebounding, the running, the defending, and uh, a nice young prospect that uh, Boston drafted in the first round. And now they're gonna get a chance to bring him over. Uh, Tiodosic, if he comes. Yeah, if he comes, it's gonna be interesting. You know, he's da- he's on the downside of his career now at 30, in my opinion, and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, at his best, he's arguably the best passer in the world. Um, and if he's not the best, he's one of the three best passers in the world. Uh, terrific offensive talent, big guard, can play both guard spots, propensity to make big shots. Uh, really a, a, a conscientious objector on the defensive end. Uh, you know, through the years, the, the, you know, the rep was that he didn't keep himself in great shape, but, uh, an offensive wizard, it's going to be interesting to see if at this point in his career, uh, he's going to leave, you know, Euro league stardom for a chance to be a, a player in the NBA. Um, cork watch to the Sixers. Terrific athlete and good shooter. The knock on him right now, he's really young and skinny, but he's, he's coming along. Uh, you know, I think, uh, has always been a, even when he wasn't playing much last year, um, a high level NBA prospect looking at his best basketball, two, three years down the road. Um, but a guy that I think will fit in the NBA, if not as a starter than a rotation player, because he's six, seven, he can shoot it. He's athletic, can play a little bit of uh, secondary ball handler. And really it's just a matter of physical maturity. And am I saying his name right? Is it Seti Osman? Uh, Chetty Osman. Chetty Osman, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, solid, tough, strong guard. Uh, have, I really haven't seen him. Uh, I remember when Atlanta took him in the draft uh, a number of years ago, so I haven't paid as close, closely uh, uh, in, in terms of attention to Chetty as uh, when he was a young player. But uh, 
apparently he's improved and, uh, you know, he'd be heading over here. Fran, I think we're running out of time here. I think we could talk about basketball all day. Anyway, um, thank you so much. Uh, I have to come up with a new vocabulary to describe um, podcasts such as with you because the normal effervescent, excellent characterizations I make just don't do it justice. So tremendous of you to share. Take your time and to share your insights with us. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, Not a day goes by, Ray, where I don't read my basketball intelligence, especially because I'm so caught up in uh, college basketball during the season. It's a great way to uh, stay on top of the NBA game. So uh, kudos to you. Just a quick note. Music is from Els Michaels Affair and Caravan. Don't forget to check out our blog, Basketball Intelligence, at basketballintelligence.net. And when you're there, please subscribe to our newsletter. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. This is Basketball Intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. 